What is up? What is up? Welcome to another episode of Stat Stories, a Stat News original. I'm Chad Shanks. And I'm Justin Kabatko. We're going to get a little more personal than usual today, asking how much of a player's overall reputation is formulated based on their personality, especially when that personality is as polarizing as the one belonging to the NBA's broadest smile and set of shoulders. In this episode 26, Tears of a Clown. So before the 2016-17 season began, Dwight Howard was on yet another reputation uh, rehabilitation tour as he signed with his hometown Atlanta Hawks for a three-year, $70 million deal after a stint in Houston that did not go as well as he and I think everyone else involved had expected or hoped that it would. Uh, And that followed on the heels of the disaster in L.A., and that followed on the heels of you know, scorched earth in Orlando, but this time was going to be different. Dwight was coming home. All the things in the past were in the past, and it was going to be different. Everything's going to be different this time. Started off okay. He started his 13th NBA season. Not, Not too bad. You know, the injuries that plagued him in Houston seemed to be a little bit behind him. Sure, his points per game are the lowest since his rookie year, but he finished the season with the highest offensive rating of his career. Now, a lot of that had to do with him more focusing on the rebounding and defensive side. He had the highest amount of double-doubles and rebounds per game since uh, the pre-injury years in Orlando. So things were looking pretty good, right? So Atlanta goes in the playoffs. We're not expecting a whole lot, but you know, Dwight has done his duty. He has shown that he can still be a serviceable NBA player and goes a whole season without any real drama to speak of. Then the playoffs happen. They got bounced in a disastrous first round where Dwight posted a career low eight points per game and a playoff career low eight points per game in the first round and was benched for a lot of the fourth quarter in, in some of the games. And again, we are met with the end of an NBA season and Dwight Howard whining to the media about his role and how he's treated and blah, 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 blah. Here's just a little bit of a sample of what he said on the Atlanta Hawks exit interviews. I mean, this is my 13th season, so I'm pissed. We don't, I don't get younger. I'm not going to be 25, 26, so yeah, I'm pissed. So, same Dwight, different season. I mean, this is becoming an NBA tradition. The end of the year, Dwight Howard uh, bridge burning fiesta, right? Uh, he's becoming more known now as someone who burns bridges than a dominant big man. But before we get into a little, all that is Dwight Howard, and I fully expect just the given the nature of him and how people react to him that maybe some opinions to this episode are going to be all over the map. But before we get into Dwight and what makes Dwight who he is, let's it's it's important to remember just how freaking good this guy was in his prime, right? I, I don't think he... I mean, he's not in his prime anymore, but I don't think you need to say was good, like past tense, because he's still good. You know, I mean, he averaged 13 points, 12 rebounds a game this year, shot 63% from the field, and he, I think, he even cracked 50% from the free throw line this year. So it wasn't like he was horrible. He's still a good player. He's not 
the Dwight Howard from the uh, mid to late 2000s, but he's still a very, very good player. But yeah, you're talking about a guy who was an eight-time All-Star selection, eight-time All-NBA selection, and he has five first-team selections at center. There's only four guys that have more, Kareem, Shaq, Wilt, and Akeem. You know, all guys that are known on a first-name basis. Yeah, so legends. He's in, really good, he's in really good company when it comes to that. He's a three-time Defensive Player of the Year. He's the only guy who won it three years in a row. Um, he's a five-time first-team all-defensive. I'm sorry, five-time all-defensive selection, four times on the first team. So, once again, you're talking about a guy who is, is very accomplished. He's done a lot of great things. He's won a lot of awards and honors. And, and you know, yeah, he, and he's still a very good player. Is he, still, is he as good as he was in his, in his prime? No, but he's still a very, very good player. Yeah, and it, it is important to remember he had that four or five year stretch or whatever it was where he was arguably the best all-around player in the NBA. I mean, arguably. It was before LeBron really took over that mantle to where there was no, no question. No, 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 no. I disagree completely. Best all-around player, it's still LeBron. It was LeBron. Even like pre-champion, we're talking about pre-going to the finals, LeBron, where it was, uh, you, where there, you, it was still okay, LeBron say, choking when, every year in the finals before he became God LeBron. No, but when you say all-around player, I'm thinking players that have like multiple skills. That's not Dwight. Dwight could score some points and he could get rebounds and block shots. LeBron could do everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe you're meaning def- something right, else. So maybe you mean- on both ends, both ends of the floor, right? Dwight, Dwight was doing things on both ends of the floor that no other player was doing at the time. Like even if you look at his career numbers now, he's currently the only player who has averaged 12 rebounds and two blocks in his career. Like two, 12 rebounds per game, two blocks per game in his career. It's important to note that blocks didn't become a stat until 73, 74. But he's he's currently the only player to do that. Well, yeah, and it's I'd also want to note he's going to fall off that list Probably, because if he he's playing. like he's yeah. like right at two blocks per game for his career, and he is not blocking shots like he used to. So he is pretty much guaranteed to drop off that yeah. list. But then he had his 17 points per game career average. He's the last player to retire with at least 17 points per game and 12 rebounds per game was Moses. He's Malone. not retired. What do you I mean? I'm he's saying the, a, last, oh, the last person to, to retire. retire with that. Was Moses Malone? Okay. Now, of course, we're splitting hairs a little bit because, like, Shaq had eleven rebounds a game, so and he had twenty four well, and, and eleven. Che- and, you're, and you're cherry picking because Dwight's probably not going to end at seventeen and twelve. So probably, but as at the time, I mean, he has a combination of offensive and defensive stats that has rarely been seen, right? And then just if you just want to talk about that uh, twenty ten eleven season where he had twenty two points a game, fourteen rebounds a game, two blocks per game. The only players to ever have a season with that combination are him, Hakeem, Moses, Kareem, Bob McAdoo. Okay, but yeah, again, you're cherry picking. You're I'm using saying, Dwight's stats as I, the minimum. Yeah, I'm saying entry. that's the so, only player that's ever that's ever <laughs> no, no that's okay, ever done that. You're, you're, so I'm just saying, like, you don't need to cherry pick these things. I do need to point. cherry pick them. I, I cherry pick <laughs> the hell out of them. If it serves my argument, I will cherry pick it. And Dwight, and then, he submit he submitted his status as the, the he was the NBA's golden boy after the 2008 dunk contest, right? Superman cape and all that kind of stuff. Dwight was the the most likable player in the NBA after that, and it's just hard to think about that now that how far things have come, right? You, we don't need to go into the full account of of how things just spun out of control, right? But injuries the stan van gundy press conference him and kobe being at each other's throats um 
coming to Houston, butting heads with James Harden, and then now even in Atlanta, he's still it's the the same thing. The end of a season, Dwight is whining. It's just this this it's a pattern, right? Every every season, every stop, it, it's it's ending the same way. So the question is, and maybe everyone kind of has an answer for this, and I know I know this I I know this question more than a lot of people because it's a question I've asked a lot just because of my background with Dwight Howard, which I'll get into a little bit. But so why do people hate Dwight Howard so much? And you can ask someone this and there's a multitude of responses you can get. So Justin, if I asked you, I don't know if you do hate Dwight Howard, first of all, but if I had to ask you, like, why do you think people hate Dwight Howard? Like, what's some of the first few things that pop in your head? Because we're not even debating whether or not people hate Dwight Howard. We just, it's a, it's a given fact at this point that people just hate this guy. Okay, so let me preface this by saying I don't hate Dwight Howard. I and I don't love Dwight Howard. I don't really really care that you're much in, about Dwight you're Howard. Different in terms of like he he doesn't he doesn't uh, provoke a, a a response in me like that. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't have those sort of uh, feelings for him. I think probably most people would say that they don't like him because he's a phony. Okay. That he's this guy who on the court's always smiling and he's always having fun and laughing and having a good time. And, and then he, he says these things, you know, when he's off the court to reporters that just sound like a guy who's just not happy and who's whining. And, and I think that's, that's the thing people don't like, that you, you've got this sort of dichotomy going on where he's this kind of fun, playful guy. And yet, kind of behind the scenes, he's this guy who's moping and not getting his way and, 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 and saying things yeah. about it. I think that rubs people the wrong way. Yeah. No, no, that's definitely that's one of the most the most common things. So it's interesting that you that you point to that. So for for those who are new to this and unaware, we've we've talked several times my tenure at the Rockets, and this episode will probably have the most to do with that. Um, I got to know Dwight is probably about as well as you can know a person who could not, if you offered them a million dollars, could not tell you their name. Like I, I hung out with Dwight and was around Dwight as much as possible and got to know him as well as possible as you can without him being able to tell you what my name was. Um, I started following him around as the Rocket social media guy and I was with him on on buses, on planes, all these things where no one else was around. And the one thing that I always said about Dwight that really impressed me was there was no off switch. Like whenever the cameras were on and he was like laughing and goofing and, you know, being that that childlike Dwight Howard that uh, people criticize, it, it never turned off. Like when there weren't cameras around, he was still like that. Uh, well, and that, that would suggest that he's not a phony, right? If he's like that all the time, if you've yeah. seen him behind the scenes, he's like that. That would suggest that this idea that he's some sort of phony doesn't really hold true. Yeah, he was like that all the time. And so that was the, the good thing about it was, you know, he was, he was always in that jovial laughing mood. But the bad thing about it was he never turned that crap off. You know, sometimes when you just wanted to sleep on the plane, he was going around, you know, taking pictures of people while they were sleeping and posting them to his Instagram, right? And so people were getting pissed because like, oh, we can't even sleep comfortably on the plane because we know Dwight is going to mess with us somehow. Like he, that, 
that smiley, happy-go-lucky personality was not an act at all. But at the same time, because he was just who he was at all time and nothing was ever repressed when he got sad, when he got in a bad mood or anything like that, it also came to the forefront. And there, there was no filter and there was no holding it back. And like to me, that was part of part of kind of the criticism with Dwight was he like he was who he was there was no filtering it was always to me always authentic to what I saw and we don't live in a world especially with famous people at that level of fame where that level of authenticity is accepted or appreciated because there are certain times when you're supposed to shut the hell up and say the right thing and he just doesn't seem to know how to do that. And I think how that's viewed by outsiders depends on how the team is doing, how the team is is living up to or falling short of expectations. Like guys like that, when a team is outperforming what you thought they would do, they're considered to be fun and carefree and they keep the uh, locker room loose and that sort of thing, right? And then when they're on a team that's not meeting expectations, for example, Dwight's one season in Los Angeles, you have people saying that these guys are cancers and that they aren't serious and you know they don't really want to be a winner and that sort of thing. And so I think a lot of the, a lot depends on on how the team is doing. Like how these players are viewed depends on how the team is doing. Yeah, and I think so there was that super awkward inside the NBA episode where they had they invited Dwight on um, during the playoffs last year, the 2016 playoffs. And Charles Barkley like straight up asked him, "Why don't people like you?" And Dwight uh, rambled on, you know, gave his response, you know, defended himself is about as good as you can to such such a terrible question to have to answer on TV. But then Barkley, as he always does, got straight to the point and brought out kind of what you said that the smiling and stuff is fine when you're winning, but as soon as you when, you, when you're losing, you can't be doing that. When you were in Orlando and winning and smiling, we thought it was great. Mm -hmm. But if you're losing in Houston or LA. And you're smiling, you're gonna get killed. <laughs> you have to be smart enough as a player to realize this is how this business works. Yeah, so it's the old adage that winning solves everything. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you're winning, right? And so other superstars are forgiven their personality shortcomings, right? Uh, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, by several accounts, we're not exactly the nicest people. They're not the easiest to get along with or easiest teammates to play with. But it's brushed to the side that, hey, these guys may have may have been jerks because they they won like crazy. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter because the ends justify the means. You know, and there's so on, many on the other... other hand, though, then you... Go ahead. Well, I was just say, you have a guy like Magic Johnson who, I mean, obviously he had a, uh, a killer mentality on the court. But he also had a good time, always smiling. You know what I mean? So, like, there's not, you don't have to be that way to be a winner. You know what I mean? Like, you can go out there and look like you're having fun and be a good guy, be a fun guy, and still be a winner in the end. Yeah, and but no one gave Magic any crap because they they were winning. If, if the Orlando Magic would have won in 2009, we wouldn't even be having this conversation and no one would even be criticizing anything that, that Dwight has said and done. You can smile, you can laugh, you can say stupid things. 
doesn't matter because because you're winning and that's that's all that really matters yeah i mean just let's you talked about or you brought up the 2009 magic let's go back to that because i think that was like the high point of dwight's career oh, right yeah. that was the year they beat the cavaliers in the eastern conference finals uh four to two the Cavs were a great great team that year they were 66 and 16 best record in the nba uh lebron is at his peak and, and, you know, and the Magic defeated them in, in the conference finals. And I almost think that that may have been when LeBron started thinking about leaving, leaving Cleveland. Because he's probably like, this was like the best team. I was on the best team in the NBA, at least during the regular season. And we can't even get to the finals. So I wonder if that's when the wheels started spinning in LeBron's head. Like, hey, I got to get out of here. Anyway, like, so that was, that was a really neat team. Because you basically had Dwight Howard who did everything in the paint, and then he's just surrounded by three-point shooters. So, like, they had guys like uh, Richard Lewis, Hito Turkoglu, Michael Petras, Courtney Lee, Jameer Nelson, J.J. Redick. I mean, they had three-point shooters all over the court. And so, they, you know, they'd dump it into Dwight. Dwight would do one of his little moves, which he really didn't have many. He could dunk the ball, basically. But Dwight would either score inside or he'd kick it out to one of those three-point shooters. And it was, it was kind of a fun team to watch. It was actually... Um, a bit of a precursor to what we're seeing now, right? Where you're having teams maybe with one low post threat and then just, they just surround that guy with three-point shooters. Um, and then it was after that. So they lost in the finals to the Lakers that year, right? And then it was after that that kind of things just started going downhill. Dwight started complaining, wanted out of Orlando, that he wanted to stay in Orlando, that he wanted back out again, on and on and on. Goes to L.A. That was a disaster. But, you know, look back, 2009, I think, was the high point of Dwight's career, after that, things just started to slide. Yeah, and I think that he had a huge issue whenever teams wanted to go away from that approach, like you said, where he was the focal point, right? They dumped it into him, and the offense kind of kind of ran through him. And he, I think, always wanted to be that kind of dominant post player, but it, it just wasn't him. It was never him. So I remember when they brought him to Houston, they were... I mean, I was as guilty of it as anyone, hyping up how much he was working with Hakeem Olajuwon. They bring Hakeem in and have him train with him. And they have all, we have all, had all these video sessions and photos we were posting of Hakeem, you know, working with Dwight, dumping the ball in with his back to the rim and, you know, doing little moves and things like that. And, but no matter how much Dwight worked on it, once the game came, he just, he, I don't know what happened if it just was, out of his out of his mind if once it got in the heart got heart rate got going in the game he just forgot how to do all those kind of those moves and just resorted back to his sloppy techniques of before or more than likely what i think is that he was he was just not a good post player in that sense like he was never going to be elijah Wan, tim duncan um any of those type of guys even lamarcus aldridge lamarcus aldridge now to be able to turn around and take that that uh, fadeaway jumper and he, Dwight was he could never do anything like that he couldn't shoot he had to dump no he's yeah he, he scored 20 a game on athleticism alone he was not like he was not a a uh, textbook post player if you will he, he was just purely you know power inside dunk the ball that sort of thing it was not it was not sort of you know Dwight didn't have some sort of signature move that he relied on no it was just being able to jump over and overpower everyone and it right and what happens is as you age right like by the time he came to Houston he was what maybe 28 years old 29 years old something like that I mean obviously you're going to lose athleticism as you get into your late 20s and I think that's probably what happened with Dwight was he lost his, he lost his athleticism 
he didn't really have a go-to move that you could use without having to rely on your athleticism. Therefore, he became less of an offensive threat. Yeah, and a back surgery and a, a shoulder surgery didn't really help with that at all. But then, and so I think the Rockets coaching staff or Maury, whoever figured it out, was right in realizing, like, we can't do this. Uh, it was Harden was just starting to explode, and they knew the ball. They, they couldn't slow down Harden by continually dumping it into Dwight for him to back it up and then miss a jump hook, right? So I know they tried getting him to accept a different role, which would be kind of what we saw Clint Capella really blossom into this year as that complimentary piece is going to come out set the screen, roll to the basket, and be there to just catch alley-oop after alley-oop. And you saw when Harden and Howard did work together like that and did that, it, it was almost unstoppable. But Dwight was pissed the whole time he was pissed about it because he wasn't getting his touches, and he wanted to be that focal point like he was in Orlando. And it just it wasn't going to happen. Like The league had moved on. The league was transitioning away from from that style of play and he just physically couldn't do it and was never that good at it to begin with. I don't think he ever just truly embraced the type of player that he that he really could be. Like he always wanted to be something that he was not. Yeah, I think I think one guy, one famous all-time great who who really changed his game late in his career like Dwight probably should have. Um, and has by not by choice, but he's been forced to. But was Will Chamberlain? When Chamberlain went to the Lakers near the end of his career, he completely changed his game. Now I don't know at the time. Maybe I don't. Obviously, I wasn't live then. But I don't know. Was he complaining about this change? I don't know. But Will was not really the focal point on offense at all. They had Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, Gail Goodrich. They had other guys who could score the ball. And so Wilt became sort of this rebounding and defensive presence, right? And from what you're saying, that's really what the Rockets wanted out of, out of Dwight at that time was, okay, look, James is going to be the focal point of the offense. So we need you to rebound. We need you to play defense. We need you to do all these other little things to help us win. And it sounds like Dwight wasn't really receptive to that. Yeah, no, not at all. I think, I mean, and you can kind of understand it, right? We've all kind of had jobs where you're, you know, things didn't work out like you expected or your role changed and you weren't happy with it. Like, you, you can understand that, but at the end of the day, you have to... Oh, yeah, every week when we record. Yeah, exactly, exactly, when I'm just carrying your ass through these podcasts. Um, just kidding, he's he's the heart and soul. Um, but whenever, you know, you have something like that, it's your responsibility to react appropriately, and I don't think he's reacted appropriately at all. And so I kind of have, I want to tell kind of a long rambling story about that I think just encapsulates everything Dwight Howard, okay? So we were in, we had, the Rockets went down to do a game in, a regular season game in Mexico City to play against the Timberwolves. And we go down there, Mexico City is a beautiful cultured city, but just kind of chaotic to get around in. Um, hard to get from place to place, especially when you're towing NBA teams around and stuff like that. It was kind of a long, frustrating trip. But something happened there that really just kind of opened my eyes to, to Dwight. Up until then, I had had, I'd had nothing but positive interactions with him. Um, he, he was the nicest player I'd ever seen like interacting with the fans. 
he would other players would just walk right past brush him off Dwight stopped and took pictures signed with everyone even in one trip we came in landed at the, uh, got to our hotel in Orlando at like two, three in the morning in Orlando, where he was, you know, pretty much hated at the time. And people are outside the hotel, like holding up Howard jerseys and photos and stuff. And every other player walks by. He goes over, talks 15, 20 minutes at two, three in the morning, talking to these people. And that wasn't an isolated thing. Like he did it all the time. And other players would criticize him for it or say, Why do you sign that, Dwight? You know, they're just going to put it on eBay. And Dwight was just like, Maybe so. Like everywhere we went, he was so nice to the the fans, and so I had respected the hell out of him for that. And it, in my in my eyes, he could he could do no wrong. And um, so we were in Mexico City. We we're in the, the the locker room at the arena. We're doing this charity event thing where they're doing a basketball clinic for local kids and stuff. And we're we're waiting for them to bring uh, bring the players out. And so I'm just kind of sitting there looking at my phone and I see this giant, you know, shadow approaching and, you know, look up and see Dwight and Dwight goes, hey, me and Trevor and Cisco, uh, Francisco Garcia, he's like, uh, after this, we're going to go down to this, this guy's house and see his tigers if you want to come and get some pictures for the rockets.com. And I go, oh yeah, sure, sure. Wait, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy is gonna take us to his house, and he's got some tigers, and he knows that I'm I'm really into tigers, so he's gonna let me uh, he's gonna let me hang out with them. I was like, you're gonna go to a guy's house in Mexico City and hang out with his tigers. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can just come and get some pictures and stuff. And then he's he goes on. He's telling me about how he owns a tiger, except for it lives in India, but it's his. He bought it and he owns it. And he's going on and on. And the PR people can see, like, apparently I had a look on my face. Like, this is this is not right. This is not something that normal people do. So they start, you know, the PR director starts coming over and, like, what's going on? And I'm like, Dwight's going to go see some tigers. So they start asking him, like, how did this even, ha- this even come about? And he's like, this guy looked me up on Instagram because he knew, he knew that I liked tigers and said when we come down here, we should come, we should come check it out. And like, of course, how do you, like, how do you know, you just know him from Instagram? It's like, yeah, he owns, he does wild cats out of his house. And they're like, you're not going to that, Dwight. That's super dangerous. He's like, how's that dangerous? Like, Dwight, you don't know this guy. Like, you, you have no idea who this is. Like, how do you know he's even telling the truth and is legit? And Dwight's like, he has a website. Like, Dwight, anyone can have a website. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. Like, this is Mexico City. This place is, is very dangerous. You're, you shouldn't do that. And he's like, he's like, it's not going to be dangerous. The guy's going to come pick us up in his bulletproof car. And we're like, why does he have a bulletproof car? Like, Dwight, what kind of a person would have a bulletproof car and tigers? Like, what do you th- where do you think they got the money for all of this? And Dwight's like, I don't know if it was if I was living down here, I'd have a bulletproof car. And he's looking at me saying, wouldn't you would you have a bulletproof car if you lived down here? And I'm like, by this time, I'm backing out. And I'm like, uh, uh-uh, uh, uh, uh. like this is going this is out of my out of my pay range. They end up the Rocket CEO ends up coming over, getting involved. They're telling Dwight, like, no, you're not going. You're not. This is this is not going to happen. Dwight doesn't get it. Like Dwight doesn't understand. And he's like. He's like, y'all can't tell me not to go out there and, and do this. And they're like, no, we can't. But Dwight, this is a very, very bad idea. 
He's like, what's going to happen? And I told him, like, Dwight, he, this, these people are going to kidnap you. And then he says, why would they want to kidnap me? And I was like, I go, do you know how much you're worth? Like, you are, you are kidnapping victim, like kidnapping bait. Like, if some guy can lure you out into his tiger den and just start demanding a ransom, like, Dwight, this is a, this is a horrible idea. So Dwight is, Dwight's legit getting upset. He's mad saying, like, if, if James wanted to do this, y'all wouldn't, y'all wouldn't say anything to him about it, which was 100% true, because James could have just done whatever he wanted, and James didn't give a crap. But, um, so what they ended up having to do was, after the event was over, because, like I said, Mexico City was whole, so hard to get around at that time. I don't know if it is all the time, but the traffic was so bad. Like, there was a very limited amount of time where he would have had time to go to this place and get back for this mandatory team event that they had to do that night. And so what they ended up doing was telling the team buses to go park um, around the corner and wait. And they intentionally made the buses late so that Dwight would have no way to go down and see what were probably cartel tigers in Mexico City. So all of that long, random, crazy-ass story which is it kind of opened my eyes to Dwight's that childlike innocence that I talked about that was with him all the time. That laughy, smiley, devil-may-care attitude was with him enough to where he was legit going to go down to see random-ass tigers in Mexico City because a guy on Instagram invited him to go to it. Um, So it just kind of... It kind of made me think of him a little bit differently. So, like on the one hand, the guy was the guy was great to be around. He was so much fun. He was so um, he treated everyone so well. Um, but then at the same time, like dude, you've been famous and rich for long enough that you should know better than this. And that kind of once I left the Rockets and stopped seeing things from an inside perspective, because the same way, like. If your family member has obvious problems or your best friend has some obvious problems, you know, everyone else can crap on them. But you're like, hey, I know him. I know her. They're, you know, they're my friend. They're they're a good person. Like I was kind of like that with Dwight. Like, yeah, I realized that he has this immaturity about him, but he's I just like the guy. I really like the guy. But then once I was once I was fired and watching from afar and the Rockets got uh, eliminated by the Warriors in the Western Conference final, Dwight's at the uh, podium and they're asking him about, you know, how the, you know, the stupid questions they always ask. And Dwight starts talking about how he's still a champion. Do you remember this? Remember that no matter how the season ends, you know, I'm still a champion and um, I won't let anybody tell me anything different. And for the first time watching as an outsider, I'm like, oh my God, like, that's like the one thing you can't say, Dwight. And so I started remembering, oh, like, this is how outsiders kind of, kind of see him and kind of see that constantly putting your foot in your mouth and just saying the the wrong, stupid thing. And then I got mad at him from a distance. Well, not him really, but because... Later that summer, he gets in trouble for trying to take a loaded gun onto a plane in in Houston. And of course, like, gets gets away with it. Like, he doesn't go to jail or anything like that. And I'm like, fool, I just got fired for using an emoji gun. And you take a, a lo- actually try to take a loaded gun on a plane and nothing happens to you? 
so I started seeing like again like a little bit of how how people start to see see Dwight without really knowing him as a person and knowing that he actually to me was always a great guy to be around and was one of the most just you he was a unique NBA player to to say the least but all that to say like yeah now I'm starting to get it and whenever he was running his mouth at the end of the season with the Hawks I'm like it's like oh my god like maybe I was I wrong like was 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 I was I blinded to him just because he was he was around and he talked to me and he was an NBA player I don't know so I have I have very conflicting emotions about Dwight Howard to say the least um would you like me to play the uh, Bill Simmons clip now of can I can I talk now? <laughs> Do I get to speak now? It's been like 10 minutes. Yeah, but I don't even know what to add at this point. Like I have nothing to go with a Tiger story, you know? <laughs> I have some other Dwight stories, but since we're now in the ESPN app and it's a family organization, I can't I can't share a lot of them. So what I want to ask you now that we've kind of given a a very unqualified psychological examination of of Dwight. I just want to think I want to ask you is Dwight a disappointment, right? Given his talent and the expectations that were set for him with if he were to retire right now, which I mean he's not going to. He's still got a lot of money coming to him, but if he were to retire right now is the career of Dwight Howard is it a disappointment to you? Would you call him a disappointment? Absolutely not. There's been what like um Maybe 70 first overall selections in the NBA draft, Dwight being one of them, right? I would put him in the top 20% of those first overall selections. So, I mean, I don't see how you can be disappointed in a first overall pick that you would say is in the top fifth of all number one draft picks. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I would, I would rate him as a top 50 player all time. And, and so I don't see how you can call that a disappointment. Really? You would put him in your... if. If you redid the NBA 50 today, just with your opinions, you would put him in top 50 all time? I mean, he, I don't want to say that I would for sure. I, I think he's probably going to be slotted, if, I, if he was in there, somewhere maybe say the bottom half dozen or something like that. I don't know. I haven't done the exercise. But he would definitely be a strong candidate for the top 50 in my mind. Yeah. Well, where does he rank in your mind for the list of the top players to never win a title? Because I've seen – I was looking there – it seems to run the map of all the, the, the sites, the blogs that do the lists like that. Like I saw one last summer, USA Today, uh, For the Win blog, ranked their 20 greatest players without a ring. Didn't even put Dwight on there. Like included Vince Carter, Chris Webber, Dikembe Mutombo, all players who I think Dwight is actually much more talented than in, in, ever, in several ways. But then at the same no, time... Dwight, no, Dwight was a better NBA player than both Mutombo and... And uh, Weber. Yeah. Absolutely. But then I saw other ones like from Hoops Habit had one where he was number five, like the fifth best player to never win. And then just a few days ago, uh, that website Uproxx had one that had him outside their top ten. And the reason I bring up all these different rankings is because I think it's really hard to pin him down because I think so many people evaluate him based on the the, the tabloid-esque aspects of his career right that they're when you think of Dwight Howard the first thing that comes to your mind isn't the ferocious dunks the dominant defensive presence it's the pain in the ass that he's been 
at one, two, three, four different stops now. Um, so two questions: Where do you, where would you rank him among players to never win a title? Like, you don't have to give me the exact number, but you know, ballpark it. And then number two: How much of how Dwight is viewed is based on his personality? All right. So one, yeah, I don't. Again, this is not something where I've ever made a definitive list or anything like that. But he's got to be, I would think, up there in the top, top five, um, probably. Malone and Stockton have to be above him on that list, I would think. Yeah, they they have to be um, number one and two. I would put Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul has been a greater player than Dwight Howard, so I would put Chris Paul on there. Um, off the top of my head, Barkley having tr- having trouble coming up with others. Yeah, Barkley. Sorry. Yeah, of course Barkley. Reggie Miller was an was an incredible player. Clyde Drexler. So maybe not top five. Maybe top ten. Drexler Patrick got, Ewing. Drexler got his ring. Remember. Oh, yeah, sorry, with Houston. Gosh, I'm thinking the Portland days when he lost. Yeah, you're right. My bad. But uh, Ewing, Patrick Ewing, another guy. So, yeah, he's in their top five, top ten, I would say, of players who never won a title. Um, Second part of your question. Can I ask you before we move on, do you think, was Ewing a better player than Dwight Howard? Yes. Why do you say that? (laughs) I mean, why do I say that? Yeah, I know you don't have Um, numbers in front of you or anything, but just, is it, do you think it's even debatable? So... What's that? Do you think it's even debatable? I mean, is it is it even close? Or no, was you no, and head and shoulders no, I would, better. No, I would, I would, say, I would say it's not debatable. And I think the big advantage uh, Ewing has over over Dwight was he was a much, much bigger threat on the offensive end. He was a much bigger scoring threat than Dwight ever was. Yeah. And Ewing, of course, was also a very good defensive player, a very good rebounder. So I mean, and he was a great shot blocker. So he can kind of match Dwight in those other things, and then scoring the ball much, much better than Dwight. Yeah, how much of how, you can say maybe you can answer it twice. How how much of how you view Dwight Howard is based on his personality, and how much do you think the general fan, how much they view Dwight Howard, is based on those external factors? I mean, I'd like to think I can separate the personality from the production. So Dwight's personality to me means nothing. I mean, it doesn't like affect my ranking of him necessarily. Um, others. Yeah, I think others uh, who aren't quite as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, aren't as fact-based maybe as I tend to be, um, would, would tend to have an emotional response to Dwight because of his personality. And, and they let that overwhelm his production that you see on a, you know, a ch- table or a chart or that sort of thing. Yeah, can you, again, I know I'm putting you on the spot, um, can you think of any other, are there any other players or examples that, that are any, in anywhere close to where we could even ask this question about, right? Because like if you ask this question about Dwight and how personality overshines accomplishments or talent or whatever you want to call it, like that's a legit discussion. I was trying to think of, are there any other players where you could actually make this argument about that were his, his level of accomplishment, but also such a just polarizing personality? I mean, this is going way back, and this is before my time, but just based on things I've read, uh, it doesn't seem like Elvin Hayes was viewed in the most uh, unforgiving light. I I think he was known to be sort of a pain in the neck and not really a great teammate, and he was a great player, but it it seemed to me like he sort of had that, that reputation as a malcontent. And also Bob McAdoo, who uh, started his career with the Boston, or Boston, Buffalo Braves, 
and was coached by Jack Ramsey. He won an MVP with them, and he was an incredible scorer. But then he just kind of started jumping around from team to team and finally settled into a role late in his career as a sixth man with the Lakers. But I think same sort of thing with him where he, he had this reputation as maybe not being the greatest teammate in the world. Now, those are, those are two really old cases. I don't know. You can probably come up with someone more modern than me. But, but those two guys are guys that I would say, you know, great all-time players who sort of like Dwight had this reputation that, that maybe um, slightly colored their accomplishments on the court. Yeah, and like a lot of those things with, with Dwight, like they call him a team cancer or something like that, which to, I never saw any indications of that in, in Houston when I was around them. I, I have other people I would point the finger at in that situation other than Dwight, but Dwight took a lot of the, the heat for it. But like you, you think of other players like, I don't know, like someone like Lance Stevenson or something like that, who just became a, a head case where he didn't have near yeah, the. But he, he's he, not even. Yeah, he didn't have near. He didn't have I near mean, the same level of accomplishment as Dwight. But you know, someone like that, to where you saw teams would just get rid of them just because they're they're so much of a so difficult to deal with. But like Dwight, for all the the criticism he gets and stuff, I mean, teams are still wanting to sign him up and he's still going to have a, a job like the the thing that frustrates me with him even though again like i know i'm not the most of all the podcasts we've done this is probably the subject that i can be like the i'm the most biased on just because it affects my it's part of my life my my personal history like dwight howard's always gonna be a, a part of my life even if he does not remember my name or face whatsoever um, I get frustrated now seeing how things went, how things finished in Atlanta because I was so happy that it seemed that he was taking a little bit of a reduced role and was concentrating on rebounds and blocks, you know, while they had Schroeder and Paul Millsap handling most of the, the load on offense. And, like, if Dwight would accept the fact that he's never going to be a Olajuwon one that he's probably not going to be the anchor of a championship team. Like he can, if he would just accept that the role that we know he can fill, that he could still he could still pull this off. Like you, uh, Pau Gasol on the Spurs right now is not at all what he used to be, but he is still a serviceable player in a reduced role on a championship contender. The problem is. Dwight probably will never take that kind of a role or a team won't want to give him that that kind of a role just because of the the pain in the ass that he has been for so many years because you never know at any time when a microphone's put in front of Dwight's face if he's going to just start complaining about his playing time or his touches or his shots or anything like that and like I I get to the point with him where it's like you know, like a parent says, like I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Like I don't hate Dwight. I, I will always like Dwight. I will always have fond memories of Dwight. But I just, I'm disappointed in him. I want, I, I want him to just shut the hell up and dominate. And that probably is never going to happen again. But you sound like a parent. I know. Well, he was like we said. He was kind of had the. He was childlike in in many ways. He was a gigantic child in in some ways. So, all right. To kind of try to wrap up all of this Dwight Howard talk and like where where are we now with Dwight Howard going forward, like as a player? 
So ESPN's um, Kevin Arnovitz tweeted not too long ago. He says, a poll of eight NBA front office execs has yielded that, best case, the Hawks could get a second rounder and cap relief for Dwight Howard. So basically saying that as of right now, Dwight Howard has basically no value given all, all the circumstances that go into it. Age, contract, um, pain in the assness, all those kinds of things. That Dwight, that basically no one wants him. And I think, like you said at the beginning, he's still a good player. He's, he's still a very capable and at times dominating player. Not like he used to be, of course, but he still has that in him. It's just all these external factors and these personality issues that go into it. And I think teams and fans are just like throwing their hands up. Like, we've seen this show before. We've seen this circus. We're, we're done. We're done with it. Yeah, I think now the Hawks are probably really regretting their decision to let Al Horford walk and to sign Dwight. Yeah. Um, Horford just seemed to be a perfect player for that team. Uh, and, and Dwight just does not seem to be a great fit just because he will not accept the role that they want him to play. Yeah. And like many Dwight Howard fans, which I still consider myself a Dwight Howard fan, um, you just keep thinking every year when he goes on his summer um, his summer tour of interviews and talking about how things are going to be different. You're like, all right, this year, this year it's going to be different. He's finally gonna he's finally gonna overcome that hump, and then at the end of the season, it's like you got us again. I still hope the best for him. I still want to see him somehow get a ring, even if it's as a bench player on a on a maybe on the Spurs in a few years. But I'm starting to lose hope. I don't think I don't think it's ever gonna happen for him. But well, let's wrap this up. That'll be that'll be it for our discussion of Dwight Howard. Love him or hate him, he is definitely one of the most intriguing and interesting and unique players in recent NBA history. So thank you very much for listening. If you downloaded us on iTunes, Google Play, or something like that, be sure to check out our blog at blog.statmuse.com. We're going to show you some uh, StatMuse results with uh, some good Dwight Howard stats if you're interested in that, which you should be. Also, be sure to check us out in the ESPN app. You can find us in there, um, streaming in their app. You can follow me at Twitter, at Chad J. Shanks. You can message Justin, at J. Kabatko, or hit up the company at, at StatMuse. So thank you very much again for listening. We'll see you next time on the next episode of Stat Stories.